Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to an exciting episode of the Steam Cleaners podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Steam Cleaners is a very simple concept. Every week, my lovely co-host and I play two games that are different from the games that we have previously played on this podcast. And of course, when I talk about my lovely co-host, I am referring to Walter Ciades Fedchuk. Walter, how you doing, man? I am doing fantastic. Uh, it's been a nice kind of post-holiday uh, couple of weeks as we're getting ready to gear up into the December holiday season, kind of unwinding for the end of the year. And I am, uh, yeah, I'm just chilling, enjoying time with the cats as I just heard a, a bang outside of my door. <laughs> uh, my partner has successfully taught one of them to sit uh, like a dog and get a piece of chicken as a treat. Um, so yeah, that's been a lot of fun. I never realized cats could actually be taught commands like how to sit. <laughs> yes, it's, it is funny because you get the, you know, the classic I always heard when it came to the difference between cats and dogs is that you feed a dog and a dog thinks that you are God because you have given it the nutrients that they need to survive. And therefore they will give you love and affection as gratitude for the gift that has been given. Whereas if you feed a cat, the cat believes that it is God and you have made a rightful sacrifice to it to ensure uh, that you are able to appease it and that you can live in harmony together. Um, I do think I was much more willing to believe that before I made as many friends as I do that love cats. And I think a lot of those biases were entirely based on the fact that I am allergic and I just didn't get to see these differences uh, within myself. Um, do, have you been able to teach them any other tricks? Um, not really. One, just because we've, we've only kind of taught them how to sit. I, and again, my partner, she's been the one that's been doing this for the most part. They're still a little skittish around me. Um, in particular, the, the, the more like feral one, she, uh, it's funny last night I had trouble sleeping. So I like went downstairs at three thirty in the morning to get, uh, some water and to like turn my computer back on and just kind of try and. Um, force myself to become exhausted and she was on the counter right by the refrigerator where the ice maker is and when I finally noticed her she had a look of I, I, I don't want to say pure terror because that seems a little exaggerated and like she doesn't like me uh, but it was pure terror and I stepped away from the fridge and allowed her to run back upstairs to the safety of the chair in my partner's office that she has now said is her little cave to hide under um so yeah sit has definitely been a thing and obviously what, 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 I, I told the story last time that uh, they caught the mouse so I mean they're cats they're yes. lovely and they have brought joy to our household well, I think that is great, and I hope we can bring joy to uh, other people's households with this episode uh, that we've got in store for everyone, Walter. I would love to hear what game you have been playing over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so uh, I have been playing Star Wars Squ uh, Squadrons. Um, it was part of a humble bundle. I'm pretty sure I've gotten a copy through Amazon Prime, Twitch Prime. I'm pretty sure it was a free Epic game giveaway at one point. Like they've given this game away in multiple different platforms. 
Uh, and I played it on EA Origin. That's how I downloaded it. So I think this version of the game was a uh, Amazon Prime, Twitch Prime um, giveaway. And yeah, I just wanted something that was kind of what I was hoping to be kind of short, you know, under like 10-ish hours, really straightforward. Um, the thing about like Starfighter or um, playing combat games is they sort of, and I'm probably going to insult anyone who's like a super hardcore fan of these, but they feel sort of like FPSs in a way, um, but you know, you're not firing a, a gun and running around with possibly a jetpack if you're playing modern warfare you are piloting a plane or piloting a spacecraft as is the case of star wars squadrons and a lot of my experience with this game is going to be kind of paralleled to my experience with the ace combat series um on my xbox 360 i think at that point it was ace combat six or seven um, and sort of, I enjoyed playing those games. I remember playing those games and I kind of wanted an aerial combat dog fighting kind of experience. And the fact that I had so many free copies of this game was just like, well, you know what? I, I better give it a shot and not to give away the lead, but I was like, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was a pretty decent game and, um, I'm not unhappy with the time that I spent with it. But it's what you expect from EA and EA. <laughs> that is unfortunately quite a shame. Uh, I do want to take a step back, though, and talk about this space combat angle, the pure gameplay of it, because I find that space combat is hard to nail correctly. Um, maybe that is just because I get disoriented very quickly when I've tried to play similar games like that in the past. But given that we've talked before on this podcast about how uh, certain controller schemes can be uh, finicky or difficult for you to work with, how did you find the gameplay experience here in piloting your own spacecraft? Uh, so I did not play any of the multiplayer stuff. I purely played the story mode because that was all I wanted. I, I didn't want to go try and duke it out using my controller against people that have like full flight sticks and have to have the somatic you know seats and all that jazz i was just like i just want the story experience uh and i played the story mode on the easiest mode because i wanted to see what the story would be like and i didn't want to get stuck on missions and i just kind of wanted to be like cool i'm gonna pilot a thing i'm gonna fight against some pretty easy ai and see how it goes and I crashed into stuff uh, a few times because I would say there are certain ships, uh, the A-Wing and the TIE Interceptor, that are supposed to be these very nimble, very fast kind of dogfighting style of ships in the Empire, you know, the original trilogy kind of lore. And they can be a little difficult to maneuver at times if you're not used to it. But I think overall the controller's uh, the controller that I was using and the controls were relatively fluid. Uh, it was a little bit confusing to sort of get used to the fact that the left stick was for your acceleration, your deceleration, and the, uh, the rotation of your ship. So to do a barrel roll, you're you know flipping the stick to the left or the right. And the camera movement with the right thumbstick was actually kind of how you were piloting. That was the direction that you would go was based off of the right thumbstick. Uh, but once you got used to it, it, it was relatively easy. 
Um, there was, I did try to play one mission where I actually shut off the, the HUD and just tried to pilot via the, um, the console in the ship. And I thought that was kind of fun. And I think if I had like a flight stick, it actually was kind of going more in depth. That was kind of, that was a good experience of like, okay, this is kind of cool to like pretend I'm piloting an X-Wing. And ultimately that is why you are playing a game like Star Wars Squadrons, or you have, uh, very uh, fond memories of playing the old Rogue Squadron game or like Star Wars X-Wing or Star Wars TIE Fighter, um, things like that. I, I do vaguely remember playing Rogue Squadron back in the day where, Chase, I don't know if you remember Blockbuster, right? You could rent games and movies from Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. You mean- could actually rent games and movies from the local grocery store. They had like a little blockbuster that wasn't blockbuster. It was, you know, Wegmans brand like movie rentals. But I remember renting Rogue Squadron and Donkey Kong 64 from them a couple of times. And how did I I guess uh, ultimately, obviously, I'm sure the graphics were a lot better now than what you had then. But uh, do you think that there have been some gameplay updates that made this a smoother experience and also just because i i have to to make the reference that everyone listening is uh going to ask for um when you turned off the hud did they make a you've turned off your targeting computer what's wrong uh reference to the original trilogy or uh is that just a, a a thing you get to do smoothly uh that was a setting that i selected and i don't think there was any reference to the original trilogy but ea that was a misstep because that totally should have happened because there is a moment where uh when you're sitting in the y-wing cockpit you see like the targeting computer that luke turns off like that is that that's the style of targeting computer they have in the y-wing bomber and it's just kind of off to the side it doesn't come in front of you or anything so they definitely missed the mark a little bit on that um in terms of gameplay i Again, when we rented Rogue Squadron, I was probably like six or seven, so I can't necessarily speak to that directly. But it's like an ace combat style of game. It is definitely not as in-depth as something like ace combat or if we're just talking like a pure flight sim microsoft flight simulator. It is definitely not that. The experience that you are getting from doing this is, hey, um, you ever want to pilot an X-Wing? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, did you ever want to pilot a TIE fighter? And you're like, yeah, absolutely. And they're like, all right, cool. You get to do that too. And it's straightforward enough that you can kind of leap, leap into it. And once you do a quick tutorial, you understand the controls. And then in all honesty, you don't have to play the story mode. You could just go straight into multiplayer if that's kind of your jam. That just wasn't the experience that I was necessarily looking for. Do they have separate story modes to play as the Alliance or the Empire, or is it like a hybrid approach there? It is It is a hybrid approach. Um, you, uh, you play missions back and forth, and it's not like every other mission you trade off. It's you play a couple missions as the New Republic, you play a couple missions as the Empire, um, which is a little bit jarring from a plot perspective, and I almost wish that they had had very separate storylines like I know they have done. Um, I can't speak to the more modern Battlefront 1 and 2 games, but to the original Battlefront 1 and 2 games back from the early 2010s, um, where there were separate campaigns where if you wanted to play as the Empire, you could play the Empire campaign, you could play the Rebel campaign, you could play the Separatist campaign, you could play the Old Republic campaign. 
And it is a little jarring going from like, yeah, we're the New Republic and we're trying to like protect this medical frigate and rescue these, you know, refugees to, hey, this station is evacuating because we're attacking it and we're going to kill those transports full of like civilians. It's a little jarring from a plot perspective. And I think anytime you play any type of Star Wars game that allows you the option to play as the Empire or you play, you know, any type of game that allows you to play as like the Germans in World War II or things like that, you are going to have that sort of weird like, I know it's a game, I know it's just a video game, but like, damn, it's kind of weird to be sitting here and listening to this like imperial propaganda and being like might is right and you know law and order to the galaxy and we have the power so we get to make the decisions and it is very sort of weird to be like yeah this is my motivating factor to do this mission it's to kill a medical frigate and there is one mission where the empire is trying to lay a trap for the rebels by allowing this squadron to uh, this uh convoy to escape to hyperspace that way you can track the like hyperspace vector and figure out where this secret uh docket is um shipyard is that they're building this new kind of super the rebels are building this new super ship and another imperial general is like no like they're in my territory i'm going to kill them because i'm like a winner and the first part of the mission you protect the new republic convoy by like shooting down missiles and then you start fighting the New Republic because the convoy realized it was a trap all along and they're not just going to go to hyperspace. So you have to d disable the ships and take their, um, you know, scan them for their like hyperspace data. And then they start to attack the other Star Destroyer general guy that showed up and you're like, oh, you should go defend him. And then he blows up and you're captain is like eh you know what he deserved it anyways because he's not working together with the remainder of the empire by the way all of this is happening post return of the jedi so the second star destroyer is blown up the emperor is dead vader is dead this is the rebels won the 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 war and have now sort of established their new republic um, so it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. And, and when we want to get to the plot, we, we can get to the plot, but I think gameplay and the actual, you know, game mechanics of itself, it's fun. It works. It's not too difficult. Yeah. Let's get into the plot a little bit more here because it sounds like there are two different problems here when it comes to the decision to make the, uh, story mode basically operate on both sides rather than have it be two separate campaigns. The first is that I have to imagine it feels like you're setting your side up only to then switch sides and have to tear down the progress you made or get in the way of the goal that you just had because you're switching allegiances so constantly that you don't really get a chance to push past the status quo in a way that would be satisfying. And and the other question is whether you get enough narrative momentum to be able to feel invested in these characters when you're constantly having to switch back and forth. And it sounds like a couple of them get kind of set up and then uh, killed in this kind of nonchalant matter. So how do those issues affect your ability to enjoy the story? Um, 
I'm just going to say off the bat, it is a bland, unfortunately kind of boring, good guy, bad guy story. It is, it is nothing, this plot is nothing to write home about. It's not going to win any, like, story writing awards. They're not going to turn this game into a major motion picture. Uh... It, it's boring. As someone who has read a, a bunch of the sort of new lore and still has a lot of fondness for the old lore and the exploits of the actual Rogue Squadron, it's I I mean if you want if you want a game that has really good storytelling and also is fighter piloting whether you know it's air you know plane or whether it's space like go to the Ace Combat series if you want a f- really kind of cool nuanced interesting story. This is not that. Um, yes, you are working at polar opposites every time you bounce back and forth. Uh, the Rebels, the main plot point is that there is this secret plan that the, I'm sorry, I say Rebels, the New Republic is working on where they are taking the remnants of damaged and old Star Destroyers and building a capital ship, building a brand new ship called the Starhawk. And it is being led by a turncoat um imperial pilot that's in the pre in the the um beginning the the tutorial mission defects from the empire and decides to join the republic because they are asking him to like blow up civilian transport ships and he he you know just doesn't agree with that so that all happens and then if you know it teleports down the line a few years later and he's leading this kind of secret fleet and this squadron called vanguard squadron which you are a part of and you are protecting this shipbuilding project of the starhawk and then on the other side you have uh the the empire being led by this captain who was on in the same squadron and was the protege of the turncoat imperial and she has been tasked with hunting down this starhawk project and destroying it and like ultimately both sides accomplish their goal the rebels successfully build this ship they prove that it works out in the field and then the imperials find it and they destroy it but they like just they neutralize it they don't really destroy it destroy it and then the rebels come back in or the new republic comes back in in the end they sacrifice the ship by flying it into a uh, already like damaged moon to blow up the moon and destroy this large portion of this imperial fleet so that the remainder of the the rebel fleet and all the engineers and shipbuilders that worked on the starhawk can then escape so that they can go build future Starhawks. So, and there's these cutscenes after you do the final Imperial mission. It's this very, like, Imperial propaganda, like, law and order are returning to the galaxy. Like, you as the brave, you know, pilots of Titan Squadron, you're elevated to, like, a flight baron, like, all of these things. And then literally the same exact fucking thing happens after the last New Republic mission that is Leia Organa not being played by Carrie Fisher. It's not her voice. It's, it's you know, a different person playing Leia uh, Organa. Does this, like, rousing, like, speech about, like, even though the Starhawk was destroyed, hope still springs anew because all of the brave souls who worked on it survived and they can now build another one and lead us, you know, to, to a, you know, a hopeful new day and yada, yada, yada. Um, and then the, like, relationships you're building with the characters, there are four characters per squadron, and then obviously there's your, your generals that are in charge of things that you do interact with. Um, they try 
to make you care about these characters, but they're never ever put in like any peril in any way, shape, or form, other than the turncoat, because of course, at some point he hops into a you know a, an X-wing himself, goes out to duke it out with the Imperials. On the Imperial side of things, you obviously shoot him down because you are getting revenge for him being a turncoat on you and the captain in charge of your group. And then, of course, in the very next mission, it turns out he didn't actually crash. He had somehow found a hole in the Starhawk exterior to, like, hide his starship in to convince the Imperials he was dead. And then he bursts back out of it and helps Vanguard Squadron, you know, guide this dying, uh, guiding this, you know, destroyed starship into this dying moon to then help all the rebels escape. It's very trite. It's very boring and very safe and just very straightforward plot. Um, but you can have these little, like, cutscenes where you'd be standing in the hangar and there's a little speech bubble above, you know, a character, above, you know, one of your, your, co, um, your co-pilots, your squadron mates. And you click on A when you're hovering over them and it goes into a little cutscene. And there's, like, there's, you know... There's some personality to them. The one that sticks out the most to me is that there is an Imperial uh, fighter pilot that has crashed so many times that he is being held together by like some cybernetics in his head and his neck. And he never takes off his helmet and he never takes off his flight suit. And like his flight suit is all damaged and his helmet is all scarred up. And it sort of reminds me right at the end of Return of the Jedi where they show Vader's helmet melting in the funeral pyre where it kind of looks like that. Or if in the new trilogy, whenever um, Kylo Ren is like shown with Vader's helmet, how it's all like melted and disfigured, it's kind of very similar in this regard. Um, then on the rebel side of things, the one who stood out to me was there is a, um, I forget the, the race of alien, but they were a former like racer, you know, not pod racer, but a different kind of racer. And they were one of the best in the world. And then now they joined up with the, the Republic to, you know, fight the Imperials because their home was attacked. And at the end of the day, because they're never put in any real peril, the relationships don't matter. And because the relationships are just an exposition dump in these short 30-second cutscenes that also, it doesn't look great, not because the graphics are bad, but just like, it just, it's fake. It's so obviously just a cutscene in a video game that, you don't really have any emotional connection to anyone, including your own character. It does seem like it suffers from a problem that a lot of Star Wars media and just media in a shared universe that has so many different storylines and so many different media going, which is that they have to maintain some level of status quo because there's a way the world needs to operate and you want to make sure that whatever people do next, they're going to be able to have it make sense and people aren't going to say, oh, but in this game, you had this thing that happened that contradicts this story moment because the director or the writers of some TV spinoff that doesn't even exist yet didn't take into account every video game that's ever been made. And so you kind of have to play it safe because that keeps that problem from happening in the long run, even if it means that the story becomes a little bit forgettable. 
because it isn't allowed to make the impact that you would maybe ideally want it to. Um, I guess ultimately my question uh, is kind of twofold. One, how would you improve this game? If you wanted to get a better version of Star Wars Squadrons put together, the sequel, you get to be in charge of the things that need to be changed. What are the things you would prioritize uh, in terms of getting this game to the next level, let's say? And then I guess for what it is, uh, where do you ultimately rank it? I think ultimately the version of this game that I would prefer is not anything EA is ever going to make because the point of this game was not to make a like, Hey, cool. Let's make this really story driven, like flight combat, ace combat style of story and plot and, and you know, that sort of thing, that sort of game. This is supposed to be a multiplayer game with microtransactions to unlock cosmetics and things like that and to be a live service so that people go up through the ranks and go up through experience and go up through battle passes and yada 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 because that's how you make money nowadays rather than actually like putting time and effort into creating a really well thought out cohesive story i don't know this is like ea's ish all they fucking do is remake Madden every single goddamn year and FIFA every single goddamn year. Although no more because they lost the license and so on and so forth. For them to make the game that I ultimately would really want, it would be an entirely different game. It would be way more plot focused, a much, much better and deeper story. Um, I don't think the missions themselves, again, I played them on like story mode, so very easy. I don't think like the design of the missions was anything to really write home about, except there was one really cool Imperial mission where you went through the this, you know, Star Destroyer graveyard that they had used all these pieces to build the Starhawk. And the mission is you are arming all of these like reactor cores that are in the field to create a minefield to kill off most of the rebel fleet and then force this damaged Starhawk off into this nebula so you can keep chasing it essentially. And that's pretty interesting. I like the concept of that, of like using the rebels own plans and the consequences of their actions sort of against them by them leaving the ship graveyard, you are utilizing it against the weapon they made out of the remains from the ship graveyard. That's pretty interesting, but I think the rest of it, there's nothing really to write home about. So give me two very distinct, different campaigns, one that is Imperial-focused, one that is Rebellion-focused, like the old Battlefront series, and actually put some time and thought into them, and give me Top Gun. I didn't get Top Gun in this. Mm. I got like very lazy. We have to put a plot together to do a story mode because people still want single player experiences in 2022. And after the mess we had with like Titanfall, we have to put a single player experience in this or even the ba the modern Battlefront series. Battlefront 1 from 2016 or 2018 or whatever didn't have a story mode. So they had to add one in for the second one. Like, it feels so tacked on and just, like, tertiary to what they want to do. And 
you know, for what I wanted for just like a short little six to 10 hour experience, like I got what I wanted that that's, you know, what I expected this game to give me. And that's what I got. Um, and I wasn't expecting anything more. And if I wanted something more, it would have to be a much different game overall and probably a different publisher. Um, at the end of the day, would I recommend it? Sure. I mean, like right now, if you didn't get it for free in Epic Games or Amazon Prime or whatever, like it's six bucks. If you're a Star Wars fan, it's cool to fly a, an X-Wing. It's cool to fly a Y-Wing or a TIE Fighter. Like that's pretty cool. And maybe you do want to play multiplayer. Maybe you do want a little bit more of a challenge and you want to play against other real life players. Hey, that's fine. I'm terrible at shooters and that wasn't what I was looking for. So I would say for my cost of free, I had fun with it for 10 hours. Um, at six bucks, eh, maybe not unless you're really a Star Wars fan or you already have like a yoke and a throttle and a, a flight stick and all that jazz. And you just want something besides Microsoft Flight Sim to play. Yeah, I mean, it, the, everything you've just said is why I'm incredibly worried for Super Mega Baseball 4. Uh, because EA is involved. And I feel like anytime EA is involved, they take what could be a very good concept and what has the gameplay that could serve as the basis for a great game and turn it into a mediocre to good one in favor of the battle pass and the multiplayer focus that just keeps people engaged because that's all games are meant to be nowadays. I hope that you do get that sequel that I think would sound like a great time, even if I'm not necessarily like a flight sim guy um but it certainly doesn't sound like that's where we're heading unfortunately yeah chase don't worry they're gonna make you pay to change the names of your players in super mega baseball 4 like they do in football manager i know that that's not ea but oh, that's a thing. god help me <laughs> i don't i'm sorry i'm sorry i put that into the world oh man this is this is why I'm terrified, my friend. I it's not your fault. It's absolutely not your fault. Um but that is the world in which we live. Um for better but, and but for Chase. worse and for worse and for worse. But Chase, you already told me what game you played, so I'm very excited. But tell the listeners what game you played and tell me how much you continue to love your relationship sims. Man, I am so glad that I got the time to finally play this as much as I did because I played Monster Prom 3, Monster Road Trip. Those of you who were here at the very beginning of Steam Cleaners may remember one Walter Fedchuk playing Monster Prom for the first time. Uh, for those of you who weren't there, I'll give you kind of a quick recap. Uh, it is a competitive dating simulator in which you go around and try to woo one of six or eight different suitors, depending on uh, whether you have the DLC, or a whole bunch of other people, depending on what secret endings you may or may not be going for, uh, and try to get them to go to prom with you uh, via uh, impressing them with a series of over-the-top shenanigans and hijinks, ultimately leading to chaos and hilarity abound. Um, you have six stats that ultimately determine what works and what doesn't. You try to get the stats that your date would like to the right level so that they'll say yes to you at the end of the day. And if you end up on a secret ending, you got to make sure that you get all of the answers correct 
so that you can uh, see a special plot line come to fruition. That's the core of Monster Prom, which is why I was super excited when I heard that Monster Road Trip was going to turn several of these things on their heads. Because the devs had asked themselves a question that, honestly, I ran into with Monster Camp quite a bit. Uh, and it's the reason I don't think either of us ever talked about that one on the podcast, which is how do you get people to be invested in failures? Because if you fail a mission, you lose stats, you lose the event, you are in a worse situation, and more than likely you will no longer be able to either get the secret ending that you were pursuing, or you won't be able to date the person you wanted to date at the end because you have lost a key part of what you were working towards in order to uh, kind of uh, woo your uh, suitor in the end. But what if, Walter, I told you that there was no failure state in Monster Road Trip, at least in terms of individual events? What if I told you that every event had a positive and a negative, and the goal was to get one stat to 25 points without any of your other stats hitting zero points instead, as you have to manage and manipulate your character, uh, your, your trip's uh, overall st uh, stats uh, based on the law of equivalent exchange. How does that sound to you? That is definitely more interesting, I think, than the just keep adding stats on top of stats on top of stat systems that we previously have had. Absolutely. And I want to just real quick here, Walter, let's play a game. What do you think are the six stats that you need to maintain in order to keep a road trip going? Keep in mind that if any of these hit zero, your road trip is over. So these are the things you have to maintain at least a little bit of if you're going to have some fun along the way. All right. Well, obviously we have something pertained to the vehicle in terms of maintenance or gas or something like that. Correct. Um, that would be called magic in this world. It is powered by magic because of course it is. Listen, with how expensive gasoline is getting, sometimes magic is probably cheaper. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, besides that, I mean, there's got to be like a bladder control thing. Because if you're on a long road trip, like you don't want to be stopping every 10 minutes to, you know, let the werewolf out to use the restroom. <laughs> like, come on. Um, interesting. Interesting guess. Um, there's gotta be like some snackage, some drinkage. There's gotta be something like that to, uh, to, to keep everybody sustained. Some sort of like stamina or strength. Stamina. The that's the things. one. That's the stamina. one. Gotcha. Um, gotta be some good vibes, some tunage. Gotta have the right playlist for the right people around you. Yes. Uh, we can't all just listen to Knowledge Fight for 12 hours. I think some <laughs> of us would go insane. I've been, told to that that was, I've been told that would be a bummer for people that aren't us to just listen to Knowledge Fight for 12 hours on a road trip, um, which is where I think the stat closest to that is uh, Soul. You have to maintain. Okay. Uh, you can't just wreck other people's lives for the entire trip and have that be considered a good time. And you've also got to protect your mental with uh, mind which is just making sure that the chaos of everything doesn't break you down from a kind of stress gotcha. perspective. Um, gotcha. The other two I'll just throw for you. Um, hype, how exciting your trip is, all okay. the okay. shenanigans that you're able to imbue. And of course, money. You need money. 
run out of money, everything else gets a lot tougher. Um, and so the goal is to get just one of these stats to 25 points. And depending on which stat you max out, your road trip ends in a different destination. So get enough hype, Walter, and you can go to Knifeland, uh, an amusement park themed entirely around knives. Or maybe you want to go to the City of Vice, which is your soul uh, trip, and spend all of that goodwill partying with friends and gambling your night away. Uh, or maybe uh, you are all about saving up that money and you get to use that to feast in the Mer Kingdom and enjoy a glorious uh, evening with um, Princess Miranda alongside some other people. Um, it is very silly, as that inevitably implies. And I think that tying it that way was a really smart way of making each stat feel like it matters outside of whatever relationship connection is there. Because fun fact, Walter, your stats do not matter in terms of securing a relationship ending. And in fact, unless you actively pursue it, you won't have a relationship ending because this is not ultimately a dating simulator. This is a road trip simulator with your good pals, Scott and Polly. Now, let's be clear. Um, First of all, Scott and Polly are the perfect people to party with because Scott is a werewolf with a heart of gold um, who just wants everyone to have a good time. And Polly is a ghost that does all of the drugs and all of the partying, um, which makes them a brilliant match for all of this. And your shenanigans are able to be shaped that way. Um, You do have an option to opt into dating style events, but those happen in between weeks. Uh, the way it works is you have like four events essentially make up a single week. And when the week is done, you go to a rest stop. And at the rest stop, you can either switch out items to trade stats, uh, pick something to give up to get something else. Um, you can uh, go to the board and figure out a location that you will be guaranteed to run into if there's a specific thing you're trying to get. You can go to the rest stop And you can pick up hitchhikers, which then become romanceable. But whether you choose to romance them or not, they all have an effect on your your road trip every week. So, for example, every event, uh, Damien, if you want to get our favorite angry demon lad, um, will give you one point of hype and subtract one point of stamina every turn and every week that he is there. Uh, which sounds great until you remember that if your stamina hits zero, you just lose. So you have to be really careful on some of this stuff. We'll come back to that a little bit. Um, But they're just around, and they have individual events that might happen as part of a random uh, uh, event trigger. But mostly, they are there to provide extra character and flavor and character give you an opportunity to, uh, if you choose to, talk to them and see a cutscene that plays out um, in which you play out a conversation where you get to learn a little bit more about their backstory. Uh, Polly and Scott have a lot of these, and you can choose to talk to them at any time, whether you pick up a hitchhiker or not, when you go to these rest stops. And so there is 
a, a lot of different things you can learn about those characters. And if you spend enough time, eventually romance them. I think it's three rest stops in which you hang out with them with only the third rest stop being one where you are prompted based on what you have read to pick the advice or kind of answer to the situation that they are proposing that they want to hear um, with the hitchhikers. I think it's only two because one of them is considered picking them up in the first place. And if you do that, you might get a little bit of a uh, romance side moment at your ending there, but it's entirely optional. It's not the point. The point is the journey. The point is to have the best road trip you possibly can and not run out of, you know, magic or money or your soul by the end. So I can't bang Polly anymore is what you're telling me. You can. You have to opt into it <laughs> uh, and you have to get the last um, event that she has in the road trip, right? You basically have to invest a lot of very specific time into it and the majority of it is not gamified it's having to listen to them and their their hopes and their dreams and their you know these different character moments that get explored like with polly for example one of them that i really liked is you learn why she loves chess and it turns out her mom was a big chess player and her mom was like a grandmaster at one point but was very introverted and so she and polly didn't necessarily get along very often and a lot of other elements but they could understand each other when they played chess. And so Polly learned to get good at it. It's a really nice, heartfelt moment that establishes, you know, builds off of a character trait that had been established with Polly, but that maybe would have stood out to people as weird or interesting or out of character given her, you know, hard party persona. But because the game isn't gamifying that bit, you just get to enjoy it. Um... And like I said, if you want to get the romance ending, there is a point at which you are finally forced to make a choice, but it's much more about listening to them and figuring out based on the things that they say, what would further the conversation in a way that makes the most sense. So you're not worried about having to gamify the experience to get to that point, because the point is to be engaged in the conversation with them. Uh, the, the stats are for the road trip. The stats are for everything surrounding it. And maybe the stats end up being relevant if you want to start getting into some secret endings, which we can talk about in a second here. But it's a really interesting decision to shift away from a pure dating sim and make it much more about the journey, to make each event be something that, because there's not a failure... It's just about the flavor of result that you are looking for. Every result can be good or bad, depending on your game state. There are events that are really funny, and if you have uh, enough hype uh, to uh, be able to pick something that maybe uh, costs you some hype, you give a very boring answer, but it gives you money. Like you go to a business summit, for instance. That's one of the options there. Like that can be very helpful for you and can lead to some very funny shenanigans if you imagine the kind of business summit meeting that Polly and Scott would run as these crazy partiers and not particularly bright but good-hearted werewolves, respectively. Um, but if you're low on hype, suddenly taking that option feels really bad because if hype hits zero, you just straight up lose. Road trip over. And so... There's no wrong answer, only answers that are wrong for the situation that you're in. And I think that's a really nice shift. 
before we get to the secret endings, because I, I believe this is going to tie into it, I know this has been a problem that I believe I mentioned when I talked about Monster Prom almost a year ago at this point. And when we've talked about some of these other dating simulators, relationship simulators, do you think that this shift in gameplay and design philosophy has helped eat up the issue with after you play through the game a few times if you want specific endings now you're just following a checklist and you're following a guide from the internet does this change seem to push you away from that or if you still want the secret endings you're probably looking up a guide and following things step by step I will say they do a lot to try to mitigate that problem. So, for example, each location has three types of secret endings. Um, there is there's kind of your standard, just getting the the point total that you need. There's getting the point total while also romancing a specific person. So, for example, if you want to get the knife land secret ending with the romance layer, they call these layers this time around rather than pure endings because it's more of like a cumulative thing. That comes up like, yeah, if you romance Damien and he goes to knife land and you pick the right answer on those options, uh, you're going to have a, a, a special thing happen when you get to knife land. Um, the other option are the storyline layers, which only the last sequence actually matters when it comes to unlocking the secret ending. So like the first two events work very much like all the other events where you'll gain something and you'll lose something. But this third event is much more like maybe the old school of Monster Prom where you'll have two different options and you'll have to pick the one that has the higher stat and it gives you three of these checks in a row and if you get all three, you get a big stat boost in the specific thing that you need to trigger the ending of that uh, location that you're going to. And you're able to uh, unlock that second layer. Um, in the case of Knifeland, which is the one I was able to do before this, um, I uh, ended up getting to party with a lot of different people that I had helped along the way in my road trip through a wide variety of shenanigans, ranging from uh, like a, a death cart race to uh, getting someone a mascot job at Knifeland by making ourselves look so terrible that they looked great as an applicant by comparison. Um, so the, the idea here, I suppose, like knowing who to romance is something you might have to look up, but the game gives you a clue and you can see when you look at it, it's like romance someone who has this personality trait. And if you spend enough time with the hitchhikers or you know from having played previous games, you'll be able to figure out who it is that they're referring to uh, without having to necessarily look it up. There is one event you will have to get right, but it's just one event that you have to get right. And that event is usually, again, based more on listening and context clues than necessarily um, having to uh, get a specific stat correct. You don't have to have looked up anything uh, to be on the right path. You just have to be able to read context clues. Um, the storyline layers, the first two events don't need anything at all because you can't get them wrong outside of potentially lowering one of your stats to zero, but that's every event that's capable of that. You could say that the last one, if you want to make sure that you get it right, because it is a stat check session, you might want to look that one up. But you don't really need to. 
And if you play long enough, it will happen no matter what. There isn't like a random trigger to that layer, this kind of storyline layer of events, as it's often called in guides. You just have to have at least 15 of the stat on week three, uh, and it will trigger as a random event. Um, it, it'll even tell you, like the narrator will go, hey, you've unlocked the ability to go through this secret ending. Do you want to pursue that? And you can say yes or no. Um, and then if you say yes, it'll be like, great, sorry for getting too meta. And then the narrator will disappear. Uh, and you can go on and, and opt in to, to see where that goes. So I think certainly it matters a lot less than it has in the past. But I will also acknowledge uh, two things. One is that I'm not sure what all of the secret endings are. I can, you know, you, I, I know that there are the romance layers and the storyline layers, and I imagine that there are, like, the MVP runs, which I believe are all about hitting a certain stat threshold, um, or, like, just general romance endings by focusing on each hitchhiker. But there are other endings that I don't quite understand yet and i don't know how to reach them and i think that's by design i think i'm supposed to figure out all these other ones first so um i i think that that's uh that doesn't get in the way for me the way it may have with monster prompt because it feels like i have more leeway for most of the journey and when i'm hitting that point it's very clear that that's the point that i'm on the only problem Game's hard, Walter. <laughs> it's a lot harder than any of the other Monster Prom games before this. So I'm guessing the new mechanics are are what make it more difficult because there is a lot more to balance here where if you're positive modifiers and negative modifiers and you're trying to meet a maximum threshold and, a, and keep above a minimum threshold, that does seem like it can be pretty stressful if you get into the wrong event and the numbers just don't add up. Yeah, that's the problem that you can run into. And they do give you some difficulty levels to tweak. I mostly played on normal. I don't understand the people that would play on hard for a game like Monster Road Trip because I think the story is the point. But I have lost multiple runs on normal, having done my best the entire time. And that's before we get into the multiplayer aspect of this where you're relying on uh, your friends to also be on board um real quick on the multiplayer front they have uh, a mode in which let's all get together gang and they have a mode that is competitive and in that competitive mode everyone is given different goals that they individually need to hit so you all need to survive to the end so you're all encouraged to work together on that front but you also have these uh not so secret secret missions that you have to try to to make happen that may contradict what someone else is trying to do to add that extra wrench into plans. Uh, in my experience, having played this a few times with friends, I think we've mostly done the let's all get together gang element. The PVP angle of it didn't really maintain our attention because it added another layer of uh, mechanics to a game that already has enough that you're trying to balance. But even just playing the game on the pure co-op mode or even playing single player, because you're always losing something, you're never fully safe. You have to keep boosting things up 
in order to get that one stat where it needs to be. And if you're just trying to get the normal ending, that's no big deal. You don't need to worry about some of your stats getting super low because you're going to win the game before it matters. But if you want those secret endings, those take time, which means you have to keep the road trip going, which means you need to make sure that you are keeping your stats balanced without going over the stat that would end the game, but also without going under any one individual thing. And if you bring even a single hitchhiker into the mix that has a a negative uh, stat effect just as a passive, every time an event happens, you lose something, everything can get thrown out the window very quickly. And you can go from a position where you feel safe and then you take one thing. It's like, oh, because I feel safe on this stat, I can pick an event that is uh, going to lose that stat. And then you go to a second event and you accidentally pick the option that loses that stat. And then the hitchhiker uh, causes you to lose even more points on that. And suddenly your stamina is low and Damien's laughing at you as your road trip comes to an early end. Uh, Definitely not speaking from experience there. Um, The game does give you some insights to help make that easier and to give you like some actual uh, strategy to it. Certain locations will tell you whether an event is going to give you a certain stat. Every location has three different options, and those options will either be like, this one gains you this stat and loses a random stat, or it loses this stat, but you can gain a random stat, or you don't know what the stats are going to be. This is completely up in the air um, until you're in this situation, because each option probably has a different stat that it affects. Uh, Or you get these incremental uh, events in which you can choose to take the kind of minimalist option uh, that has a very small stat change, or you can go crazy and pick the big one that has a huge stat change and is the most ridiculous option possible, kind of that uh, conservative versus aggressive style of uh, of approach to uh, that particular event. Um, so all of that means two things. One, Lots of different events, lots of different options. I've played this game for about 16 hours now, uh, both with friends and on my own, and I don't think I've seen even a quarter of what this game has to offer in terms of pure outcomes goes, Uh, though I have, as of last night, finally seen every location. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Though they are adding more to the game. Free updates are happening all the time because uh, it turns out the people at Beautiful Glitch are very cool. And shout out to them for all the work they did on this and for uh, giving this game for free for anyone who backed Monster Camp on Patreon and are giving the fourth game of the series uh, for free to anyone who backed Monster Camp on Patreon. Really cool stuff. Shout out to you, Beautiful Glitch. Uh, and shout out to you for coming up with a really clever way of avoiding this problem that you'd had previously of people avoiding certain events just because they didn't want to be seen as having failed. Um But yeah, it's a challenge and you have to be careful about it. And sometimes you go too aggressive and you realize the error of your ways uh, and suddenly you're having to start all over again. And if I have one critique, that's the one that it has to be, is that there is no way to have a quote unquote quick game, a short game, the way that previous games of Monster Prom or Monster Camp could. Uh, it ends when you hit a stat threshold. 
which means you have to get enough events in order to get there, which means you have to be able to navigate all these different instances. And if you want to get a secret ending, you have to get to at least week five in order to get there. Um, I think it's a fine choice in terms of like making it so that pursuing a secret ending is something that requires a lot of effort and is very satisfying when you pull it off. But I only got one of the storyline layers before I did this because I would either die trying to last long enough because my hitchhiker I would have brought would have inevitably uh, hurt me more than they helped or I lost because I got a couple guesses wrong on what the stat effect would be uh, and just didn't get the locations that I needed in order to make sure I would have a safe play. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Again, it's a game that it's hard to feel bad about a failure because every event has a positive and a negative that comes from it. But when you realize that it's going to take you another 45 minutes to an hour if you're playing on your own, and a lot more than that if you're playing with friends to get another shot at that secret ending... Well, that's a little hard. Makes it a lot harder to farm these things than maybe you could in Monster Prom. So, good that you're not incentivized to use the guides the way you maybe were in the past. A bit of a bummer that beating this game and seeing everything it has to offer is going to take a lot more time than me with my adult job and my adult responsibilities uh, am going to be able to afford in the foreseeable future. Listen, Mr. Adult Man, what you got to do here is you got to block out a couple of hours a day at random meetings. Just put a random, put like Mr. Businessman as the person you're meeting with and no, nobody will be the wiser. You can take the time you need to spend. You know what? Set a meeting with Mr. Scott Polly. I'm sure nobody will investigate that and that won't be an issue. Um, that being said, two Quick little questions uh, before I ask overall, you know, whether you suggest the game or not. I, I already know what you're going to say with that. But one, what is the farthest or how far have you gotten in terms of like just a continuous run? Because it sounds like if you really can balance everything for long enough, you could potentially go on for, I don't want to say infinite, but a near infinite amount of time. And two, how, like, where do they go from here for Monster Prom 4? Or do you think that this is a very good evolution for the game and they can kind of sit in this wheelhouse for a little bit? I do think at the end of the day, um, they have uh, a lot of uh, room to to grow and change some things. I think the next game has a very different feel. I, I don't have the details in front of me, but I do know it involves Miranda and Liam because they're the only two characters of the original six that haven't gotten the spotlight shown on them. Um, but they are continuing to experiment with the formula in a way that's very nice. Um, I think that what they've done here is a really great adaptation on the formula. And I'm open to more ways of taking this thing that I love and framing it in a new direction in order to really uh, get the most out of it. I do think as far as like 
the longest game I've had. I haven't been able to survive more than I think six weeks. I think I had one multiplayer game that uh, because we were playing cutthroat and we each had our own incentives, uh, a couple people kept prolonging the game in order to have more time to get there. And you're going to be shocked to hear that that ended with us failing the run because we ended up hit running low on one of our stats and there was just nothing we could do with the options that we were given. Um, or at the very least, whoever it was that was in charge uh, uh, kind of goofed it. Um, but I, I would say, like, in general, uh, five weeks is the length I would aim for, which is a full 20 events, not including any events that are like a side event because you picked up a hitchhiker or any of the side events that you get if you're trying to unlock specific secret endings. It also doesn't include any of the rest stop stuff if you're trying to romance people or even just learn more about them, you know? It doesn't have to be a romance necessarily. It could be building a greater bond with this person that you're taking a road trip on. Um, how much of it is a romantic element, I think, is uh, both contextual to the person that you've picked and also kind of left to uh, for you to determine to a certain extent. So that's definitely like from a, a length perspective, uh, that's where it, it ends up. And I think where the sweet spot is, um, if you're playing solo, like I said, that's like 45 minutes to an hour, um, which I think is a reasonable amount of time. Um, I, I, I think that's something that you can kind of block away for yourself. I, I wish there was a shorter option just because there's so much I want to see uh, and I'm uh, uh, I, I am impatient, uh, but I do really enjoy it. And I for multiplayer games, especially, I would not change that pacing. So I, I totally get how they got there. And Chase, I'm assuming you recommend this game pretty highly. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I love Monster Road Trip. I'm going to argue that it is the best game in the trilogy so far. Um, and that's saying a lot because I played a hundred, almost a hundred percent completion in, in monster prom. I haven't seen every failure state, but I have gotten every secret ending in that game. I have seen every event in that game. Um, and I loved monster prom. I thought monster camp was great. Even if I thought there were some flaws with it, um, and some of the length of certain events and whatnot. But Monster Road Trip is a breath of fresh air to the concept. Um, it gives enough bite from a gameplay perspective to give you something interesting to dive into while still having those romance options available for people who want to opt into that kind of thing. And I had a blast. I thought it was really, really fun. And I am hoping that those of you listening at home, uh, if you enjoyed monster prom or you thought the monster prom sounded interesting but you weren't you know, like fully on the dating sim element of it well here's an example of just letting the strong writing and the wacky chaotic shenanigans uh reign and let that be the focus of everything in a way that i think makes for a really good time but i hope this podcast gave you all a really good time listener at home that i am speaking to right now uh if you enjoyed it uh, you should follow us on the social medias. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? 
As always, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, you can also find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod on Twitter, as long as this hell site still fucking exists. Uh, as for the podcast itself, uh, you guys can follow along the uh, just the gaming content at the Steam Cleaners feed or just the movie stuff on the Final Cut feed. Or you can get all of the above for one low, low price of nothing following it on the rough drafts podcast feed fantastic uh you can find me at chase wassenaar on twitter uh we would love to hear your thoughts on these games or any of the other games we've played or if you have a recommendation for a game we're always down but walter you know we're hitting the end of the year and i think it might be cool to try something just a little bit different this time around so come back here in two weeks uh, and see if we can maybe take uh, a trip down memory lane, or is it? Uh, until then, goodbye, Internet. <laughs>